Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. This morning's reading is taken from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. It can be found on page 1062 in the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David, for reading. Uh, I have my own welcome to Pete's. My name is Andy, I'm on the staff team, but I always forget my badge. Um, Normally, at this point on a Sunday morning, uh, me and the Pathfinders and the Pathfinder leaders are over there in that building uh, doing Pathfinders, Uh, but today we're all over here, uh, and it's great that you could join us. Uh, Thanks for coming, welcome to Pathfinders. Uh, Normally we would do first name, surname, and a question with the register, but I think that would take a while. So... Uh, No, joking aside, it's a privilege for us to be here. Pathfinders, look around you. Uh, These are your people. Uh, This is your family, and it's good for you to get used to church life. If you didn't manage to grab a sheet on the way in and you want one, uh, Emma's hanging around at the back, and she can give you one. Um, Let me pray quickly as we turn to God's word. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and speaking to us today. I want to pray, Heavenly Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, we're at the end of Luke's Gospel. Uh, We've reached the end of the Easter season for this year. Um, For lots of you, back to school tomorrow. And one or two of you are feeling smug, because you are not. Um, We've read over the last few weeks of the death of Jesus and of his resurrection 
These are the essential facts of the Christian religion, the foundation of our faith. And I'm sure it won't have passed many of you by that these are huge claims. That Jesus died and came back to life. That's a massive thing. It is a miraculous thing. And all of us sometimes, and some of us lots of the time, we're not sure. We're not sure we believe this. Sometimes we don't have certainty about the things we've been taught. I mean, people don't normally come back from the dead. I mean, surely people can't come back from the dead. Or maybe they do, but what if they don't? And as a Christian, you can feel really guilty for having those doubts. You might feel really afraid that you're basing your life on a lie. Oh, sure, well, my mum and dad, they say it's true, but can it really be? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it's not true, but, but I'm not confident that it is. All of us, at one time or another, to a greater or lesser extent, will have doubts and we will lack confidence in the gospel message of Jesus. We might feel right now, some of you might be feeling right now, guilt, fear, even despair, because you're not confident. Maybe you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian. To be honest, you know, you kind of equate people who believe in the resurrection with people who believe QAnon online and other conspiracy theories. You think, oh, it's just a moral story. It's a philosophical ideal or, or just a childish escapism. But maybe you have doubts too. What if he did? What if you're wrong? What if there is more to life? What if you could be sure of more than just death and taxes? So can we have confidence in the resurrection? Can we have confidence in the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Well, Luke wants you to have it. He says you can be confident. You can have confidence. When he started writing this letter, and you don't have to skip there, I'm going to go straight back to the first few verses of his gospel. He says, look, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Know the certainty. Not that, not that you will always feel certain. Christians won't always experience certainty. Your, your confidence, your knowledge, your faith, they may fluctuate. But he wants us to know the certainty of the things themselves. So he accurately records what the eyewitnesses said. He carefully investigated these things. He's written them down for his friend Theophilus and in turn for his readers, for us, today, this morning. This was written to give us confidence that Jesus really was raised, that he really has been revealed, and that he really is worthy of our worship. Jesus has been raised. That's the first part. I'll point up on the screen if that's helpful. So this last chapter of Luke, which we've looked at over the last few weeks, there are three main accounts we had the women at the tomb, didn't they? They kind of escalate these accounts. The women at the tomb, they saw that it was empty, but they couldn't see Jesus. And then 
you have the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and they see Jesus, but oh, then he's gone from their sight. And, and then even as they're discussing that, they're still talking about this with the other disciples when we get to this third account. Jesus appears among them. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Well, how will they respond? Let's be clear, they weren't expecting it. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Even after the report of the women, even after some of them had seen him, they were scared. They thought he was a spirit. Modern people are not the only skeptics and scientists. It's actually pretty arrogant to think that, oh, you know, just all the people in the past were a bit soft. You know, oh yeah, all, all the ancient world was just full of gullible people. You know, all the great advances in science and technology and art and culture that we enjoy, it was them, wasn't it? What do we do? We post pictures of our breakfast on TikTok or something, you know. <laughs> but seriously, they were not waiting around for a vision. They weren't expecting him to come back. They were skeptics too. Even with him in the room, they're struggling to grasp the resurrection. They're struggling with their faith. They don't have confidence exactly at this point. But Jesus comes to them, comes to meet them and to reveal himself to them. And you know, perhaps he could have said, well, uh, I did tell you this would happen. Uh, and by the way, where were you all when I was getting killed? You know. <laughs> but he said to them, verse 38, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. It's a gentle rebuke. Doubt's not a good thing, but Jesus doesn't treat it harshly. He holds out his hands and his feet. Not the hands and feet are unique to Jesus. Most people have them. But he's showed who he was. The scars on his hands and feet were proof, the proof those frightened people needed that this really was Jesus. This really was the man who had died and who had been buried and who was now stood in front of them. And they're still struggling. Verse 41, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish he took it and ate it in their presence. Even with the joy of seeing him again and the, the amazement of what is still happening, they're still struggling to believe. And Jesus, in his kindness, offers them a further proof. He takes and eats food with them. They can see him, see his scars. They can touch him. He takes and eats food. This is real. He, Jesus has a real, physical, resurrected body. He's not a ghost or a spirit, or a fantasy. He's not a metaphor or a helpful idea for your life. He's not merely a resurrected soul. The physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the truth of the gospel. It is central to the Christian hope. The Christian faith, our Christian faith, does not rest on a principle, or a philosophy, or an idea, or a spiritual truth. It rests on events in history. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is something people saw. They touched him. They gave him fish to eat. 
They told other people. Eyewitnesses wrote down what they'd seen. Luke collected some of these into an orderly account for his friend Theophilus so that he could know, so that his readers could know, so that we can know the certainty of the things we have been taught. So you can have confidence this morning that Jesus is alive. In our, in our little video earlier, uh, which just to reassure you wasn't recorded this morning, um, <laughs> you can tell that from Luke's haircut. Uh, Nathaniel couldn't quite believe that Poppy would marry our Luke, um, but maybe our Luke struggles to believe that Poppy would marry him too, I don't know. Well now he can look down, can't he, on his hand? And he can see the ring. He can have confidence in her love for him and she can in his for her. And it's a bit like that actually because this is not just bare facts. This is not just sterile information. This is the sort of news. This is, they have found your child alive and well. Your dad has made it through surgery. Your friend is alive. You'll see them again soon. You know, for Luke and Poppy, their rings, this is not just information, is it? Oh, I am married. It is an exciting, treasured new reality. And look, this is the kind of news we're talking about. Jesus is back. Their friend, their rabbi, their savior. And even, even on top of all of this, Jesus' physical bodily resurrection means that we can have confidence that the resurrection Jesus experienced and the resurrection he promises his children, it's not a low-budget spiritual metaphor. It's, it's not like a discount-stickered, ghost-like existence or, or, or like a kind of dilute, out-of-focus, floaty cloud thing. No, it's real. It's physical. It's actually more physical and more real than we are right now in this life. It's like this world, like this life, but not damaged by sin. Not crippled by death. God no longer distant. You can have confidence. Luke wants you to have confidence that Jesus really physically rose from the dead. That's why he wrote this down. And you might think, oh, that's all very well, but you know, I'm not sure I trust. To be honest, Andy, I'm not sure I trust what Luke wrote down. I, or, or I might want it to be true. Or, or I do believe it, but I wouldn't say I feel confident exactly. And look, even the disciples, even the disciples are still on the brink, aren't they? They have joy and amazement, but they can't quite believe it. And what follows is necessary for them, and it's necessary for us too. We can have confidence that Jesus has been raised and that he's been revealed. He says to them, verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus' death and resurrection is actually what you'd expect from the Old Testament scriptures. Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms is a way of saying, you know, the whole thing, the whole Old Testament. And it's all looking forward to Jesus. It's written about him. He fulfills what is written in it. Written by many authors in many places over many centuries. But it has one, remarkably one, coherent story which Jesus now opens their minds to understand. He opens their minds, verse 45, so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
the central message of the gospel, the promises of the gospel, which were delivered in advance to Abraham, is that the Messiah will suffer, that he will rise from the dead. And on this basis, on, in his name, the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to everyone. And look, just as the disciples on the Emmaus Road needed the Old Testament explaining, they needed their eyes opening so that they could see Jesus, the disciples here, who've actually seen and touched and cooked fish for the risen Jesus, they need their minds opening. And you might think, oh, well, why do they need that? He stood right in front of them. You might remember, let me tell you either way, uh, there's a parable that Luke records Jesus telling uh, in chapter 16. It's about this rich man and Lazarus. They have this you know, different life, and then they die, and then they have a different life again. And the rich man is in hell, and Lazarus is in paradise. And the parable records this kind of conversation between the rich man and Abraham. And he's like, well, oh, Lazarus, you know, get Lazarus to go and tell my brothers about all of this. And Abraham replies, this is in chapter 16, verse 29, if you're a note taker. Um, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The resurrection on its own would not be enough. It is now that the disciples finally get it. Not simply because Jesus is stood in front of them. They still can't believe because of joy and amazement. But because God himself has opened their minds to understand the scriptures, his words, his revelation. So they actually understand what they're looking at. This is the way God reveals himself to them then, even with him stood in front of them in person, and to us today, reading about what they witnessed. The Spirit of God intervenes in people's hearts and minds to open them to the words of Scripture and, and now they are witnesses to these things. That's what they're, they're told they are. You're witnesses of these things. Verse 48. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The apostles will now preach as his witnesses in his name, repentance and forgiveness to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is the formation. It's the starting point of our New Testament. Just as Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, through the provision and inspiration of God's Spirit, looked forward to the Messiah, spoke of his death and resurrection, Jesus now points the apostles as his witnesses. He will clothe them with power from on high to preach the gospel of Jesus, to testify to what they have seen and heard, that they saw him die. He was nailed to the cross and killed. He was laid in the tomb, dead. And they saw him alive again. They saw his scars. They gave him fish to eat. And we have their witness, their testimony of these things. The Old Testament points forward to Christ. The New Testament points back to his death and resurrection, forward to his return. The whole Bible, wherever you open it up, points to Christ. We can take great confidence, we can be confident that the gospel message that they preached, the testimony of the Old and New Testament, 
of the Messiah who died and rose to life, who reigns now, who will return in the future. It is, it is and it always has been the way that God reveals himself. You might think, oh no, but Andy, if I was there in person, you know, with a robe and a beard and sandals, if I'd met him in person, or, or, or if there was a miracle for me, or if he would just reveal himself to me now. He has! He has! You're holding it! He really has! You're holding Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. You're holding the eyewitness testimony of those who from the first were the servants of this gospel word. Brothers and sisters, we can have confidence we don't have a substandard revelation. We have the only revelation that has ever been necessary. The gospel message of Jesus, the Messiah, who died and rose again. Who you can come to in repentance and find forgiveness for your sins. No matter who you are, or where you're from, or how bad you've been. We can be confident the message we've heard is true. The way that we have heard is the way that God speaks. All God's words point to Christ. The resurrection was real, and God's words are trustworthy. And look, before we move on, this good news will be preached. Did you see now? Obviously, that includes what we do in church on Sunday mornings and so on, uh, but it's not limited to that. It's never less than the faithful systematic preaching of the Bible in the church family, but it must be more than that. Okay, it's what's happening right now in Adventurers and Explorers. It's what happens in Friday nights with Gig and Youth Group. It's what happens when you share your faith with a work colleague in the gym after work. It's what's happening when you tell your friends at school about what you believe, when you put up your hand and own your faith in an RE lesson. It's what you're doing as parents when you share your faith with your children. And it will be preached to all nations. As one commentator put it, no one is excluded by the gospel and no one is exempt. This message is for everyone, no matter their age, religion, nationality, sexuality. And look, the most amazing testimony of that, in words that we might easily read over, he says, Beginning at Jerusalem, verse 47, the first place this gospel message will be preached, where it will be launched, is in the city where Jesus was crucified to the people who killed him. The gospel of Jesus is preached first, and in a sense, always to his enemies. We can have confidence that Jesus really has been raised we can have confidence that Jesus has been revealed to us, that what we have heard is true, and therefore that Jesus really is worthy of our worship, that following him really is worthwhile. You're not wasting your life. Your faith is not misplaced. Just as Jesus had done while he was with them and will continue to do after he's left them, he blesses them. Verse 50 when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Christians call this the ascension. Jesus has returned to heaven where he is now, where he will be till he comes back with his body, 
Yeah, he hasn't like left it behind or given up on it. He's not a spirit. And even as he's taken up, he doesn't stop blessing them. But you do wonder, um, you know, it would have been a blow, wouldn't it, to lose him? You know, what a roller coaster. These guys, these young men in particular, they've left everything to follow him. And then, oh my goodness, he's dead. Oh no, he's alive again. Oh, but now he's gone. How will they respond? Verse 52, then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Finally, for the first time, they really understand who he is. They really respond the right way. They worship him. They're filled with great joy. They are praising God. They have confidence he has been raised. Jesus' place as the fulfillment, as the center, as the pinnacle of God's revelation to humankind is now clear to them and it changes them. Those who have by faith met Christ should experience something of this. Having confidence that Jesus has been raised and that he's been revealed led them and will lead us to worship Jesus. It will bring joy. And I hope that for some of you, being reminded again, reading again that Jesus is alive, seeing again that the revelation you have received is trustworthy, has drawn your eyes up to Christ, that you are experiencing something of this joy, that your hearts are drawn to praise, that your lives are more inclined to worship. But also this could be quite discouraging. Some of you won't be thinking and feeling that. And part of me, when I was reading this, I'm like, oh man, I'm not experiencing lots of joy right now. You know, I don't feel as confident as I should. I... And maybe those feelings of guilt and fear do start to resurface and you think, oh, I just wish it wasn't like this. Well, take heart, brothers and sisters. Because we see here something of the problem, but also something of the solution. If I lack confidence... If I doubt, if I have guilt and fear and the despair that those doubts bring, well, this is showing me where those things can be dealt with. It's pointing me in the direction of help. Have I deliberately turned my mind upon Christ? He is the one who has been raised. He's the turning point of history. He's the savior of mankind, the one who came to bless his people and carries on blessing his people. Have I turned my mind upon him? Have I turned to his revelation? Have I opened his words? Where else would I expect to find confidence? Where else would I find comfort? How else could I find joy? We may not have the confidence or the joy that we should have. I may not be experiencing the confidence or the joy that I want to but I do know where to turn. And it's really sad, but it's quite common for me to talk to young people. I do talk to old people too, but I often talk to young people. Um, and they think they're turning away from the gospel message of Jesus because they are experiencing doubt and a lack of confidence. But actually they're experiencing doubt and a lack of confidence because they're turning away from the gospel message, gospel message of Jesus. They've cut themselves off from that message of Jesus. If I neglect Christ, if I neglect his words, if I neglect his people, 
Well, why would I be surprised if I lack confidence, if I lack joy, if I experience doubt? Brothers and sisters, as we finish, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us spur one another on, confident that Jesus was raised for us, confident that he has been revealed to us. Young people, pathfinders, fix your hearts on Jesus, but look around you as well, right now, look around you, look around the room, not a joke. This is your family, the family of faith. If you want confidence in Christ, if you want to experience joy as a Christian, don't cut yourself off. And look, parents, I'm really hesitant about how to say this. And, and you know, so far as it depends on you, don't let your children cut themselves off. They need Christ. They need the gospel of Christ, or they have no hope. You know, let them quit badminton. Let them skip school. Let them just eat Mars bars and pasta for the rest of their life. But, but fight. And keep on fighting to get them to church. Even if it looks like you lost the battle years ago, keep fighting to bring the gospel to bear on their hearts. If they don't come to church, ask the preacher to give you the sermon and you just preach it when you get home. Get them to go to whatever they'll go to, small group, youth group. But do not let them cut themselves off from the gospel. Because without Christ, without the gospel of Christ, they have no hope. And look... The reality is that it's really hard. I know that. I've seen it in so many parents over the years. We're under grace. Ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't make your children Christian. And if you sat here this morning and you're not a Christian, please, have you taken seriously what the Bible says? I don't mean have you read a few verses or listened to what your mate said at the pub or watched a video on YouTube. I mean, you can choose to dismiss it, but that's, that's a hell of a thing to do. If you've not read it, if you've not taken it seriously, I bet you a Mars bar that Matt Laws would take you to the pub tonight and start Christianity Explored with you. Yeah? This matters. We can have confidence. Jesus really has been raised. He really has been revealed. And he's not just worth trusting as a kind of cosmic insurance policy, but he's worth throwing everything behind. He is worth our worship He's worth the daily giving over of all our lives for him. Brothers and sisters, he will not let us down. He continues to bless us.